Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Fratz. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We're underway at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 29th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Summer is steamrolling toward a close. Uh, and it's going out with a bang too. It's a lot of lot of severe weather. Obviously, hurricane. What's it called? Idalia, I think is what they're calling this one. It's a Cat One right now. It was a tropical storm. It has gained some strength to be a Cat One. Could reach landfall around uh, Fort Myers and the Gulf side of Florida. Uh, Wednesday morning uh, as a Cat 3 is what they are saying. And uh, watching Governor Ron DeSantis down there bebopping around from Jacksonville where they had a terrible shooting situation down to uh, uh, the uh, uh, soon-to-be-affected areas of the hurricane and, of course, in his offices in Tallahassee. It's uh, kind of interesting. I saw somebody today point out, that it's hard he had to leave the campaign trail. He's supposed to be in Iowa doing things, going to New Hampshire and doing things and so forth. But then again, you also get to see somebody being an executive. Uh, so it might actually be in, in an interesting way, um, advantageous for him to be, you know, watched by the nation in action, doing his thing and, uh, and leading as an executive does. He has been 
stellar in that regard. So that's what's going on. And meanwhile, while Governor DeSantis is doing his thing down in Florida, President Donald J. Trump is being rigged out of an election altogether. A great article I want to share with you portions of in The Federalist from uh, yesterday. And uh, I, I read it this morning. Democrats are not interfering in the 2024 election now with this Trump trial situation. They're blatantly rigging it. And this, of course, is in large part a response to the announcement yesterday by the U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, the judge who will oversee the January 6th related indictments in Washington, D.C., has set the trial date for March 4th, one day before Super Tuesday. This is really, really curious because the original trial date set for the Georgia case was March 4th, one day before Super Tuesday. Then the Georgia uh, uh, case was moved, and they want to do that like really quickly in October, in which case the Trump team is saying, we're not going to be ready for the trial by then. you got 19 people who are co-defendants in this, for crying out loud. We can't be ready by then. So they moved that one which is a problem in and of itself, and now the judge in Washington says, we'll take the March 4th slot, the day before Super Tuesday, which means he will be in a trial then at least a week later on March 12th when four more states hold primary elections. So uh, as they write in The Federalist, uh, this is not merely election interference. It's a naked, brazen, blatant attempt, those are my words, to rig the 2024 election. And that is something we cannot, uh, we just cannot abide by. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today with Peter Kersena. Now, Peter Kersena, by the way, has a, a really interesting theory. Not that it's his and his alone. A few people have been talking about this. Um, about black males perhaps being the difference maker because of what they did to Donald Trump last week with respect to booking him and taking his mugshot. Peter sent me a link to an article, and, and maybe you've seen something similar, but Kirsten sent me a link to an article uh, headlined, Black Men Flock to Trump After Fulton County Spectacle. Black males are somehow, some way, identifying more with Trump now because of the process that he went through. Now, some are suggesting that that's kind of a racist position to take because that would mean that black males identify more with prison and being booked into jails, and therefore now they can identify with Trump. And that's, well... That's not racist to, to, to say. It is observational. It is statistical. It is proven. Uh, more black males are in prison than other, uh, you know, than women or other races of men. That's a reality of it. But the point is, Peter pointed to some numbers and some some uh, anecdotal stuff that say black males uh, are are you know they have to go. The African American uh, vote has to go to Democrats to the tune of 88 to 95% every election for them to win. If they slip below 88%, Peter has often talked about this too, uh, I think it's one of Kersenau's, uh, you know, universal truths of elections, if blacks vote for the Democrat at less than 88%, uh, they lose. The Democrat loses, period. So this is an interesting thing. Talk about uh, that with Pete. Uh, in 2020, FYI, Biden won 92% of the black vote, Trump won 8%. If Trump can take four, well, if somebody, and in this case because of the black affinity for Trump that Pete is talking about, um, if he can move 4% from 
from you know from the of the black vote from ninety two. Well, actually, I have to be five from ninety two down to eighty seven, and his from eight to thirteen. Uh, that he would win the election, which is a really interesting uh, way to look at it. So we'll talk to Chris now about that. We're also going to talk to him about leftist mayors freaking out over illegal immigration that they themselves have championed by being sanctuary cities. I love the story of L.A. Mayor Karen Bass um, complaining that another busload of, uh, of illegal immigrants was dropped off in Los Angeles, and she declared... L.A. has not extended an invitation asking for people to come. This is a political act. And I'm just like, does she know what the what the phrase tone deaf means? Did she really just say there's too many illegal aliens coming to L.A. that were uninvited? They're coming to L.A. from Texas. Does she not have any idea how that sounds to a Texan? Do you think we freaking invited them across the border into our state, into our cities, into our towns, into our schools, into our health centers, into our, uh, you know, into our, our into our lives, soaking up and absorbing every resource that we have? What are you kidding? Bringing drugs, bringing, uh, you know, guns, bringing, uh, you know, human traffickers and and gang members and cartel. I mean, we didn't invite them either, but here they are. So how about you join us in telling your boss, Dementia Joe, to, to get off of his rear end and do something about it. Stop joining him and saying we need universal, comprehensive immigration reform. And that means once we get all of the illegals who are here, um, amnesty, as long as we allow them to stay and get them on a path to citizenship, then we'll talk about maybe limiting how many people come across the border in the future. It's such a criminal uh, racket that they have going. But we're going to talk to Pete about that, too. And how about this, too? This is another good one we're going to have to uh, have to talk about with Peter, and I may talk about it with you. This is brazenness. Colorado Democrats have an open seat in their House of Representatives, and they have decided to fill it with an out-and-out Marxist. A, a young Gen Z teacher who says he's a Marxist and who is calling for and has written in support of forceful, emphasize capital letters, forceful cultural revolution against whiteness. His name is Tim Hernandez, and he is an avowed Marxist. Like so are the you know the founders and the uh, and the uh, upper management, if you will, of BLM, Black Lives Matter, the giant grift of BLM. Uh, they identify themselves as Marxists too, but he's a Marxist. He's now on the House in the House of Representatives in the state of Colorado, and he has called for a forceful cultural revolution against whiteness. That whiteness itself—that's just straight up whiteness. And again. Nobody likes whataboutism, but I don't give a rip what they like and what they don't like. Try to imagine anybody in any government body, from a state house like this one in Colorado to a city council to a school board to, the, the I don't know, the, the president of a Mickey Mouse club in your neighborhood. If somebody said out loud, I want a forceful cultural revolution against blackness, what happens to that individual? What happens in the country? I mean, seriously. 
but calling for a forceful cultural revolution against whiteness does not even make the news. You will only find this in a few conservative news pages and on a few conservative shows that aim to bring the truth like this one. No one even knows this happened unless you are looking at a a very select few news websites. This will not be on MSNBC. This will not be on CNN. This will not be on your local news channels. Nowhere. I doubt it'll be on the uh, uh, in on the uh, news channels in Boulder, Colorado. I, I doubt it will be anywhere even close to being publicized. But there you have it. So we're going to hit all those things with uh, with Kirsten now coming up at ten uh, ten this morning and at eleven ten. This is another one that I'm very excited about. We're going to talk to a gentleman named Adam Litke. Adam Litke is one of the spokespersons slash leaders, I don't know what you want to call him, uh, uh, we'll find out when I get him on the radio, uh, in the city of Geauga, with the Geauga County, or not city, in the county of Geauga, Geauga County uh, Department of Health. I don't recall if we talked a ton about this when I first saw this story, but I want to today. The Geauga County Board of Health has issued, I I did read it to you, but I don't think I gave you a ton of uh, uh, opportunities to respond to it, but the Geauga County Board of Health, in my view, uh, based in Chardon, has uh, essentially set the roadmap that we should be following as it pertains to this new round of lockdowns and shots and uh, masks and everything else that are on the way. I mean, look, we talked about this already a little bit. Uh, medical centers, hospitals uh, across the country, not all of them, but some of them across the country have already started new mask mandates for patients, for visitors, transporters, anybody coming in and out of a medical center, they're doing the masks. Uh, Biden is pushing the shots on everybody, the new shots. Uh, this is, you know, and lockdowns have already been discussed by some schools. Um, I'm, as soon as I read and heard all of that, quite obviously the response was what? The response was, "Oh my gosh, here we go again!" Because Mike Dewine is still governor, and the city, the state uh, uh, House of Representatives and state Senate, our our General Assembly, did nothing after the disaster that was Ohio's response to COVID last time around. Did nothing to secure, by way of legislation, uh, medical freedom for people, for all of us. To, prove, to to ensure that we will never, ever, ever again have to face that sort of thing here. Don't let Mike DeWine do it again. We did not get any legislation that was meaningful passed. And so I'm sitting here worried to death about, you know, the next Mike DeWine, Amy Acton show, and here we go. But in Geauga County, Adam Litke, who is, whose title is administrator, by the way, I see it now. I was just calling him the head, but the administrator at the Geauga Public Health, County, County Board of Health, uh, they have they have set what I think should be kind of the guideline. Um, GPH, that's Geauga uh, Public Health, has been hearing increasing community concerns that compulsory masking and other prior COVID-19 procedures may return to Geauga County. In last year's guidance, we expressly stated our aim to revert back to a pre-pandemic education and community experience regardless of student vaccination status. The decision-making autonomy of families should be respected. GPH affirms the reversion to a pre-pandemic education and community experience and discourages in the strongest possible terms the resumption of any prior COVID-19 school restrictions. 
Now, it does have a line at the end, which might be a caveat that says GPH will continue to monitor the situation in the county and reassess this guidance as necessary. But that is called getting out in front of it. It was stated uh, six days ago, August 23rd. That's getting out in front, saying, do not think that we're locking down. Do not think that we're going to do masking on our buses and our schools and in our businesses and so, excuse me, and so forth. We are going to recommend pre-pandemic. In other words, if people get sick, just like they got sick before the pandemic, so what? They stay home. They take Theraflu or whatever the hell they're going to take. Uh, and we do go on with our business. We're not going to do anything uh, that we did that we didn't do before the pandemic ever started. We are going back to pre-pandemic uh, education and community uh, guidance. So that's good stuff. That's important stuff. We'll talk to uh, Adam Lickie about it at eleven ten. So there you go. I got Kirshnow. I got Lickie, and I've got you at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I got so much news to get into with you today. Before we nope, don't no break yet, Seth. We're going to do our pledge first, then we'll hit that break. Uh, go ahead and stand, Patriots. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge of allegiance. If you believe in the opposite of what Geauga County's Board of Health just laid out there which is stripping Americans of their liberty and the rights to go where they want and treat themselves medically how they wish, well, then you don't have any respect for liberty. Thus the flag, thus the country that that flag represents. You may, therefore, feel exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, you can take a knee next to the other Marxists over there. As for the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now we'll take that break at 924. We'll come back. We've got a lot of time to talk in the next 35 minutes or so before Kirsten now joins us at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. So get in line at 216-901-0945. We are right back. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. So let me give you a little bit more of that story. Um, the one from Colorado, just because of what it says, just, you know, bigger picture. It, it, it impacts all of us, not just people in Colorado, quite obviously, because this is the movement um, toward separatism, toward segregation, I guess maybe is a better way to say it. Uh, and uh, and division, which is, of course, the goal of the radical American left. Divide us, break us, split up the nuclear family, uh, and split us up by racial lines. This is what CRT is for. This is what Ibram X. Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones and all of the rest of these um, uh, repugnant race baiters and racists, this is what they're trying to do, and it manifests itself in people like Tim Hernandez. Colorado Democrats voted... Uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday, to fill an open seat in their state House of Representatives. And they chose Tim Hernandez. Now, who is he? Tim Hernandez was chosen, by the way, by a committee of Democrats charged with filling the seat left vacant by Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez, who was elected to the Denver City Council. Okay, whatever. Um, Hernandez was a teacher at the Aurora West Prep Academy in the Aurora Public Schools District. And while he was in that position, he has made his thoughts 
known on social media, several social media sites. Um, he has made his thoughts known on whiteness. In other words, he decided to he has decided to make it very very clear that he is an unapologetic racist who hates and and despises white people. Now again, I'll go I'll go back to the statement before. Take that for what it's worth at face value that anybody who expressed any such hatred for any other color of ness, in other words, blackness or brownness or anything other the thing you could use to describe a race or an ethnicity of people, of course, would be blown out of the water. I mean, this person would never be get, be able to get a job, uh, you know, sweeping out the, uh, 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 you know, next to the dumpster at a McDonald's parking lot. Um, they couldn't do that. But this person was elevated to the State House of Representatives. In a July 2022 Twitter thread, Hernandez railed against what he called the racist conditions of teaching. Remember, he's a teacher. He said 80% of teachers are white because the education system wants them to be, and it isn't ready or equipped to create conditions for teachers who aren't white either. Instead, they choose to promote the oppression their equity departments try and fail to dismantle. Now, pause there for just one second and point out something that is very, very obvious. In order to be a teacher, you have to have a college degree. If you, in order to have, you have to have a college degree, you have to graduate from high school. In order to graduate from high school, you have to achieve certain academic standards. And the reality is that the overwhelming number of high school graduates and thus those going on to get college degrees to go into fields like teaching, happen to be white and Asian. Asian people, by the way, are a minority, just like African Americans and Hispanic Americans. But yet they don't suffer from the struggles in getting things done the way other races who are, that are minority races do. So... The idea that the educational system is set up so there are more white teachers is just garbage on its face. You can't be a teacher unless you go to college. You can't go to college unless you graduate high school. And the reality is, in the minority communities, the African-American communities predominantly, Hispanic communities less so, but still by, by a large number, uh, education is not important. It is not something that is stressed in many of those communities. Larry Elder has been talking about this for 30 years. Peter Kersenow for longer than that. About the dedication of parents in those communities to keeping their kids in school, making sure they don't skip, making sure they do homework, making sure they achieve, making sure that they can have the opportunities to go do things like teach. That is not systemic racism. It is not systemic discrimination against would-be minority teachers. It is simply a choice in different cultures and communities. If your anti-racism work, or excuse me, if your equity anti-racism work invests in growing white people to be less racist or more conscious of bias instead of investing in conditions, this is another tweet in this thread from Tim Hernandez, uh, that allow for the dignity and experience of BIPOC people to thrive, then it is still white supremacy. <laughs> you do not have to be a white teacher or administrator to be an agent of white supremacy or to uphold whiteness. Equity work that is not self-determined by those who experience inequity is saviorism. 
Continuing in the thread, the newest member of the House of Representatives in the state of Colorado wrote, The language of white privilege, racial oppression, is not for white people to grow. It is directly designed to subvert a system that perpetuates white power. Its purpose is not to encourage white people toward inclusivity in a racist system. It is to take power from them in it. Um, it's a view he has held for a very long time, going back to January of 2021, so about two and a half years ago. Quote, am I denying the freedom to uphold white supremacy? If so, I'm in favor of that denial. And white supremacy is currently upheld by force. Let's pause there for a second. Did you know that there was force? What kind of force? Police force? Military force? What kind of force? White supremacy is upheld by force. The rest of the tweet. So, yes, I am advocating a forceful cultural revolution wherein we assert the dignity of life for all at the expense of white supremacy. We're talking about whiteness and white supremacy, and I'm willing to advocate for any form of disruption to it and every manifestation it has. Now, I ask you, when is the last time you heard that much hate coming from one individual? I mean, that's just straight up, I hate white people. He could have summarized that a lot more easily. I hate white people. And as a teacher, I hate my white students, and I will teach my non-white students, my BIPOC students, to hate white students as well. I will break up whiteness in any way I can, and I am advocating for the forceful revolution that will break up whiteness. So we go back to once again, ask the question, is there any other position? No, let me rephrase. Is there any other um, demographic that one could, could, could spew such hatred toward? be they men or women or racial demographics or age demographics, any demographic at all that anybody could speak with that much hatred about, and and first of all, keep their job, second of all, be promoted to a position of government, be promoted to a position in the State House of Representatives. And they did so unironically. I mean, this says so much more about the Democrats in Colorado and, quite frankly, in the rest of America. They confirmed an outspoken, self-described Marxist. A Marxist who hates white people and foments and fosters and promotes racial segregation and racial division at every opportunity. And he's now one of the lawmakers in one of our states. And ponder that for a moment. He uses the words cultural revolution, which is derived from what? Cultural revolution is derived from communist totalitarianism. The Chinese cultural revolution. The Chinese cultural revolution was a political purge and persecution of millions of suspected anti-revolutionaries orchestrated by Mao who was the chairman of the People's Republic of China from 1949 to 1976. The violent movement vehemently opposed the four olds, old ideas, old culture, old customs, and old habits, and featured the destruction of cultural artifacts. And this is what they chose. 
So I guess, you know, bigger picture here is is what would you do if this was Ohio? Let's let's expand this from the very you know localized Colorado situation to let's bring it to another state. Let's bring it to ours. Let's go look at it and tell me if the state Democrats had a position to fill in the House of Representatives, if they chose a Marxist who said I support forceful revolution against white whiteness, somebody who expressed deep deep disdain and hatred for people based on what they look like blatant racism the type of racism that they they espouse or they they allegedly rather uh, are are trying to um to diffuse and dismantle and disrupt they literally are claiming that whiteness is racist yet they are practicing racism against whites because of how people look what would you do do you think that could happen in ohio i would have said uh 8 months ago i would have said no no way not a chance but after watching some of the stuff we have seen in this state, after watching uh, good people or presumably good people who decided to go trans on us into political trans, that is, uh, trans Dems, Republicans who are transitioning into Democrats uh, before our very eyes, uh, I don't know what I would expect anymore. But I can tell you this, that if this individual was in the state of Ohio, we would be on this story every single day, every single day. Uh, Colorado is a different place. Colorado, the people out there are very different. It's a very blue state. It's 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 damn near California, um, and so this is probably just fine with them. This is inclusive. This is equitable. Giving a person like this teacher Tim Hernandez a position in the state legislature is a perfectly good idea to do. Let's see what damage he can do on committees. Let's see what lo- uh, what uh, legislation he can propose in the Colorado House of Representatives and push through. Because guess what? Anybody who votes against any legislation that this guy sponsors to dismantle whiteness and dismantle what he calls white supremacy, anybody who opposes that is going to then fall under the category of what? Racist white supremacist. How dare you oppose what Tim Hernandez is supporting here, this Marxist who has been given a position of authority in a legislature. If you push back against it, you will be branded one of them. So I'm curious as to how you'd see it in the state of Ohio. It's 947. We'll take a time out here. we got a lot more for you. we got Peter Kirsten all coming up as well. Always Right Radio right back on AM 1420, The Answer. So as long as we're on the subject of radicalism, like the one in, uh, in uh, Colorado, hey, let me go ahead and take a look at the radicalism in Georgia. And I'm not even talking about the radical... Uh, prosecutor down there that is bringing this uh, ridiculous set of charges against Donald Trump. No, I'm staying in the school system. I told you we were going to do this. As school gets underway uh, and kids start to return to their indoctrination centers to be groomed and sexualized and uh, and to be brainwashed and into a culture of, of a variety of cultures, I suppose, of absolute insanity, uh, we're going to focus on them. So here's a win-win for the students of Cobb County, Georgia. Libs of TikTok uh, did an expose on this. They asked, uh, they reached out to the Savannah Chatham uh, County Public School System for comment about the sexual and pornographic themed books that they provide to their students. Um, they asked them with this question: This question, to whom it may concern, I'm gathering information for a story about the pornographic books your district currently has available for students to view, use, and check out from your libraries. 
The following pornographic books are currently available in some of your schools. Gender Queer, Flamer, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and Blankets. For proper context, I have attached screenshots from the above-mentioned books you are currently providing children. We are wondering if the administration thinks this is appropriate to make available to students in school. Our deadline for common is noon Eastern Monday. Thank you for your time. The screenshots, be glad this is radio and not not television. Because the screenshots that are contained within this story are every bit as pornographic as the word pornographic would uh, uh, you know, describe. It is pornographic literature and it is pornographic illustrations. They're not pictures, they're drawings, but it's drawings of sex. All kinds of sex. Well, not all kinds. Gay sex. That's what these books are intended to promote. Now, I would be, and I'm quite sure Libs of TikTok and the other individuals who are trying to get comments from these schools to try to get them to take these out, would be just as repulsed if there were drawings and descriptions of heterosexual sex. You better believe it. You see, porn is porn, whether it's straight or another kind. It doesn't matter. It doesn't belong in schools. So these images are simply grotesque. But on to the story. After these, uh, uh, this uh, letter was sent talking about the descriptions and depictions and drawings of oral sex, masturbation, uh, and promoting of, of, of things like chest binders to change genders and sex toys with which to uh, experiment and so forth, they received a response from the public information manager for the district. And the response from Sheila Blanco, that uh, public information manager, was offering kids porn, quote, promotes intellectual freedom, end quote, and provides, quote, access to a variety of information, ideas, and resources, end quote. Now, I'll let you marinate in that for a moment. The public information manager for an entire school district in Cobb County, Georgia, says that kids should have porn available to them to promote intellectual freedom and to give them access to a variety of ideas on things like oral sex positions and more. If the if your child needs resources on how pedophiles target children or moreover if pedophiles need resources on how to target children, the Savannah-Chatham County Public School System has your back. It's intellectual freedom, they call it. Now, if a parent doesn't want their kids to read these books, they have to make a special request through the school. You understand this? If the parents don't want their kids to check out the porn books, they have to make a special request, and then the librarians will try to make sure that if a kid who is one, uh, the kid of one of those parents doesn't want them to have the porn book, they won't let them check it out. But do you remember going to the library when you were in school? You don't have to check out books to view them. You can read them right there in the library. You can open them, read them, view them. And parents, it's up to them to try to get this nonsense removed. Or actually, they can't get it removed. So the the alternative is, according to the school, remove the kid. The kid won't be allowed to go to the library and do that stuff then. 
If you have a, a child in this district, writes libs of TikTok, Code of Conduct, page 15, says you may block your child from checking out certain books, but you have to call the local school and alert the media center there. If you want to challenge the material from the entire school, you can bring up your complaint on a link that the principal has made available, and that is what they're calling a win. The win is that they're at least providing you a way to express your outrage at this. And again, I'm going to do this bigger picture than just Georgia. Same thing I did with the Marxist teacher and now House of Representatives uh, elected official and lawmaker in Colorado. I'll bring it home and I'll bring it local. Because I don't even have to really imagine this one. It is home. It is local. It is Ohio school districts that have those very same books on their shelves. And, and, and to listen to the left tell the story, if you want those books removed from the shelves, well, then you are guilty of book banning, which is just this side of book burning, and you are the closed-minded uh, enemy of, of knowledge. I mean, what leftist idiots am I talking about? I don't know, people like this one. I mean, the idea that we're sitting here, I never thought that I'd be president, let alone be president, and having a discussion on why books are being banned in American schools. In case you can't hear him mumbling uh, into the microphone, he said, I never thought I'd be a president having a discussion on why books are being banned in American schools. And I never thought I would have to explain to an 81-year-old man why there are some books that are not appropriate for American schools. I mean, quite literally, what is next? When you have a district representative, the PIO, the public information officer of the district, telling you that porn is allowed to be available to the children because it, 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 what was it, it expands their intellectual freedom? Because of their intellectual freedom was the way they phrased it. Um. At what point will they support the idea of Hustler and Penthouse and other magazines being on the school magazine racks? When I was in, in, in elementary and junior high school, and I walked into my school library, and quite frankly, when I was a teacher as well in the early 1990s, when I walked into the school library on my way to, to the uh, lunchroom, to the teacher's lounge for lunch, I walk in, and the first thing I do is I turn to the right because that's where the magazine racks are. It's where you find all of the various, you know, magazines. And, and I would always grab a Sports Illustrated or I, I would grab a, uh, you know, a Newsweek or something to take up there and read when I was having my lunch, right? Uh, and even when I was a kid, like I said, the first place I went to was a magazine rack because I wanted Sport Magazine. You might remember Sport or Sports Illustrated. I was a little sports nut. Uh, and that's all I would do. And, you know, nowhere on any of those magazine racks in your library did i see penthouse playboy hustler none of them there's the only three i can think of by the way i'm sure there are others but they weren't there because pornography was considered inappropriate for children would they have called that book banning back then this is what we're up against my friends this is what we're up against as we try to protect and save our kids and to save childhood Kirsten now joins me after the new... Dot org. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host... 
Bob France. Seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. It's a Tuesday. You know what that means, right? It's a particular kind of day. When it's a Tuesday, it's a Cursinow Day. Let's bring in our good friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, also a uh, Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author, a columnist, a law professor, the host of the Cursinow Report, Peter Cursinow. Welcome to the show. We missed you last week, my friend. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Beautiful day in Cleveland. Yes, indeed it is. All right, Peter, we've got you for three segments. We're going to make use of all of them. We're going to start out, Peter, uh, by talking about what they are doing in Georgia. I, uh, well, not just Georgia. Let me rephrase. What they're doing in four different locales of the um, indictments and the trials that are being scheduled for President Donald J. Trump. There's a headline that I thought you might, you might find interesting in uh, The Federalist today. Democrats aren't interfering in 2024 election with the Trump trial. They are blatantly rigging it. And specifically, they're talking about the fact that the Georgia case was originally going to be scheduled for the day before Super Tuesday. Then they changed it and said, no, we're going to do it in October, giving the Trump team and, what, 18 co-defendants very little time to prepare for that. But then we found out yesterday that D.C. said, we'll take that slot. We'll do March 4th, 2024, the day before Super Tuesday, completely eliminating any opportunities for Donald Trump to uh, to uh, campaign. He's going to have to be preparing for this trial. And then, of course, after the trial gets started, it leads up to another big day. Uh, one week later, there's four more big states that vote. He's going to be tethered to the courtroom in Washington, D.C. So, Peter, do you agree with the Federalists and what they are doing to literally uh rig the election against him not just provide election interference yeah i do but i don't think they go far enough others have and that is remember when um oh my it's it's early in the morning for me today i, I i'm having a brain fog or a brain freeze i believe it was benjamin franklin was asked what kind of government you've given us and uh, he said he responded a republic if you can keep it yes sir and um we've got the greatest founding documents in the history of the world, the greatest structure in the history of the world, but it all means nothing if the men and women who are charged with charging or discharging the obligations under and the rights and duties under the um, um, Constitution in a effective and nonpartisan fashion, in an unbiased fashion, and it hasn't done that. Uh, the, we've got an entire party that's devoted now to power, and to destroying one man who they view as being the most dangerous nemesis they've faced in quite some time. Uh, They're bending the rule of law, they're breaking the rule of law, distorting it horribly. And um, I I think there's a question, and bigger minds than mine and historians who have the broad view, such as Victor Davis Hanson, who I mentioned constantly, but there are others, commentators such as Jonathan uh, Turley and Alan Dershowitz, who I'm sure your listeners have, have seen on television saying the same thing. I'm not sure. It's, it's very difficult. I, I never say never when it comes to the United States of America and our prospects, but it's getting increasingly difficult to say that we can credibly come back from this. This is dangerous. You know, this goes beyond Trump. And, um, you know, if the Democrats think that this just applies to Trump, you know, they've let the cat out of the bag here. Uh, Once you start going down this path, all things are possible, and they're going to rue the day. Everyone will rue the day. So we're in in 
a really difficult situation here. The Democrats also, I believe, they want to do two things. One is to make Trump so unpalatable to everybody that he can't win the election. But at the same time, they want to create in him a martyr among the base so that he is definitely the nominee. They want to make sure he's the nominee and that they can focus on him and tear him down. However, I think that they may be too smart. That, that part is working. That part is working because each not only not only after each indictment was announced did he see a massive spike in the polls, when he had the the mugshot taken, another huge bump because first of all, people like the mugshot and the you know, the whole message that that sent. But the fact that they did so publicly kind of creates a bit of a sympathy vote and, and expands expands support even a little bit more. Yeah, it, it, it truly does. And you and I changed, exchanged uh, texts about this. There are certain segments of the uh, voting populace, uh, black males, for example, who are gravitating toward him, who feel as if you know, he's being put upon, um, that he's being treated unfairly. They sense kind of a kindred or kinship with him in that respect. And you know, my old statement is that if the Democratic Party does not get a minimum of 88% in a national vote, they cannot win an election. They've never been able to expand the electorate among the Hispanics, which they're losing. And among whites, so they are they they must get a minimum eighty eight and usually ninety two to ninety five percent of the black vote, and if there's any erosion in that, they're in serious serious jeopardy. And what we're seeing right now, we're looking at polling data that is should be quite troubling, if the mainstream media was covering it, but of course they're not. But you know, give you an example. Back in just two thousand eight, I think it was uh, Obama got ninety six percent of the black vote in two thousand twelve. That fell by almost 10 points to 87% after everyone got a chance to see what he had done. And in 2016, Clinton got 82%. There's been a general erosion, which has made it very dangerous for Democrats to prevail, very difficult for them to prevail in a national election. Now, Biden is at a point now where more than 35% of black males in the Midwest among chief electoral states are supporting Trump. That's astonishing. Now, Let's see whether or not that actually ends up in vote totals. But right now, it looks extremely troubling. I looked at this a few years ago, too, and I was talking about it on Tucker about this, and my predictions were fairly accurate in this regard. Right now, Biden only gets anywhere in two different polls that I saw on August 14th and 16th, 61% to 73% of the black male vote. He is in very, very deep trouble. I don't know if Biden is going to be the nominee. If he is, he's got serious issues. And... This is not simply an erosion from Biden. This is a transfer to Trump. Um, you know, who knows whether or not that transfer pertains if the nominee is, say, a, a, you know, a Ramaswamy or a Nikki Haley or anybody else. But nonetheless, that's serious, serious red light territory for the Democrats. Again, we'll see what happens. But uh, their effort to isolate Trump, to target him and make him unpalatable, uh, and then load them down with all these trials and everything else, that it could possibly end up backfiring. It could possibly actually <laughs> catapult Trump into office. To what do you attribute the potential shift in black votes? Um, oh, I think that it's a couple of things. Number one is I've talked to a lot of folks who have said, you know, it's dawning on a lot of people that, hey, things were a heck of a lot better under Trump. You look at every single measure, and things have gotten worse under Biden, and not by a small measure either. But number two is, you know, there's been some commentary about this. I don't know to what extent this is merely transitory or permanent, but that mugshot really set off a 
a uh, really wave of support among a certain segment of the black community because it was seen as if Trump was being put upon, that he was being treated unfairly in a way that many blacks believe they're treated by, you know, authority figures. So if the Democratic Party wants to paint itself as prosecutor and persecutor, if they want to be viewed in the same fashion that blacks viewed the Democratic Party, say, in the 1870s and 1880s, when, you know, the Democratic Party opposed the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, the Civil Rights Act of 1866, 19, you know, all those Civil Rights Act, you know, have at it. Go ahead and do that. And, you know, it, for a long time, blacks were voting Republican back then. I don't expect a wholesale shift. I really don't. And I think some of the commentary is somewhat overblown, but there's an element there because uh, that, that the Democrats ignore at their peril because, as I indicated a few minutes ago, they cannot afford any slippage whatsoever in the black vote if they hope to prevail in 2024. Yeah, and, and here's the one thing, Pete, that I, I struggle with with respect to this, and then we'll move on. Everything did get better for um, all Americans, quite frankly. You know, the rising tide lifted all boats in the Trump presidency for the first three years. You know, the, the fourth year is a complete – it's an impossible one to, to kind of uh, evaluate because of COVID and everything that happened. But uh, particularly for blacks, uh, record low unemployment, record high right. wages, uh, opportunities for blacks exploded during the, the Trump years. And yet, and again, I suppose we can you know, discuss you know, the validity of the 2020 election, but the reality is, is he got 92%, Joe Biden did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so if, if things were so good for the black uh, uh, citizen in, and voter in 20, for the three years of 2016 through 2019, um, shouldn't they have shown up a lot more for more of that the last time around, or what makes you think that they will this time around? Yeah, that's what you would think, and I don't know that they will this time, but I do think there's going to be an erosion of support for Biden because they've experienced Biden. Maybe not necessarily a support for Republicans in general, but an erosion of support for Biden. And I think this is something that has baffled a lot of people for a long time. Uh, no matter what has happened, Democrats have done horrible things in terms of managing the economy. Uh, every Democratic city is a hellhole for blacks. Crime rates, housing, all that stuff. Poverty, it's just horrible. Yet blacks keep voting Democrat. And I think it's because the Democrats have been very successful at, and I will couple this with the dereliction of Republicans, in getting the message out. The Democrats have been getting out a false message, a narrative that's mainly based on race, trying to say that Republicans are racist, Republicans will put you back in chains. Remember that comment from Biden himself. And somehow that has continued to persist and perpetuate, and I think it's partly because when you go into the black community, this has been a hobby horse of mine for 20 years, you hear very little counter-programming from Republicans. They've just disappeared. They don't even go into the black community. Damn, in a little forays here and there. But, you know, this is something that, you know, I'd been drumming on for a long time, and back in 2006 I did this. Um... Actually, 2004, and I had a chance to talk with um, a couple of folks in the Bush administration about this. And I'm not saying that I, you know, instigated this, but the the Bush campaign actually went into the black communities and increased their vote total by 100%. And that was the difference between losing to Kerry or beating Kerry. It was the difference, and especially in Ohio. 
Republican Party needs to put on their big boy pants and actually go physically into the black community's hard work and do it and try to convince hearts and minds one at a time. Yes, it shouldn't have to do that because manifestly the Democrats have screwed the Democrat the black community horribly in so many different ways. Continuing to take votes, to continue to take money and doing absolutely nothing and you know nothing is improved or very little is improved in terms of relative status as a result of that. And let's face it, the Democratic Party's are party's policies are inane. They they're just you know, demonstrably inane. Yet you've got to you can't beat something with nothing. As long as Republicans continue sitting on the sidelines, they're missing a golden opportunity to get a fairly significant share of the black vote, enough to make sure Democratic Party goes the way of the Whig Party. Yeah, be very interesting to see if they're successful in doing that this time around. And uh, and I understand the point about getting there. But, you know, there's still, every at every turn, like I was just doing the story this morning of the uh, Colorado uh, um, a Marxist who was just appointed to the House of Representatives to fill a vacant seat. He was just, he's a lawmaker now. He's going to propose bills. He is a, uh, a Hispanic named Tim Hernandez. He calls himself a Marxist. He says he believes in forceful emphasize capital-lettered forceful revolution against whiteness, absolutely despises white people and anybody who votes against anything that he might propose in a lawmaking setting, and, you know, in the Colorado, Colorado uh, General Assembly or the leg- legislature, of course, is going to be branded as that, believes in white supremacy. That Jamel Hill, one of the strong black voices for radical laugh, bla- uh, leftist uh, blacks in America, uh, ripping Nikki Haley for correctly pointing out that you know if we don't put somebody up who can beat them, we're going to end up we're going to end up with President Kamala Harris. And she, of course, is thinking that Joe Biden would never be able to finish a second term, and she's right. But Jamel Hill goes out and says, "Oh my gosh, uh, could your racism be any more blatant? The idea you're so offended by the prospect of a black female president." As if that's what Kamala Harris's problem is, is her color, uh, and not her, the fact that she is interminably stupid and that she routinely puts her lack of intellectual capacity on display in such embarrassing fashions. It has nothing to do with what she looks like. But Pete, my point is they're going to keep playing the race card and make black people feel guilty if they support anybody that isn't one of them. Yeah, that's what they do. They do it constantly. And unfortunately, it works. What can you say? It, it does. And that, totally does. It, yeah. You know, and, and that's a shame. It's a, it's a shame on those who vote for that kind of stupidity and evilness. Let's face it. When you have a guy like this guy Hernandez saying the things he's saying, you know, uh, he wants to dismantle white systems. He wants the forceful cultural resu- revolution. I, you know, in addition to being stupid, it is evil. If this guy had spent even 15 seconds looking honestly at history, he would say, no, we don't want to go down this path at all. And you're spouting communist talking points to impressionable young minds. That is evil. You know, you want to be communist? You want to be like the Soviet Union? North Korea is a real, you know, that's a real garden spot. Let's do that. Let's look at Venezuela. You know, before it was became socialist, it was the wealthiest nation in South America, except for the United States, the wealthiest nation in the Western Hemisphere. There's a 100 million unmarked and marked graves attributable directly to his favored political movement. This is ridiculous. But you see, Pete, but and yet you see, we have Pete, an educational me, system that promotes this. Let me throw another element of that. What you just did was dismantle what this guy says on, on the merits. 
But it's the fact that he's not being criticized for it, or it's even made any noise or news, is what makes this so troubling. It's not the merits. I mean, he literally is quoting Mao-type stuff, okay? But it's not that. You just pointed out all the reasons why. But the fact is, nobody cares. You won't. Cares. You will not see this story on CBS News. You will not see it anywhere other than a select few conservative news websites or programs like mine that that are focusing on this. And Peter, as you well know, had everything he said been said about any other color than white, if he said brownness or blackness or anything that refers to race or ethnicity about any other group of people, this is a national story. Elected or not elected, appointed Colorado lawmaker says. We must use force to end blackness. Can you imagine such a thing, Peter, or to end brownness or or BIPOCness or whatever? But because he said whiteness, it's a yawn if it gets any reaction or coverage at all. And that's because every one of our institutions has been utterly captured by the left, and not just the left, but a left that is, um, frankly, I mean, it's insane. Uh, maybe I'm, Maybe that's a redundancy. But nonetheless, you look at media, media suppresses any kind of news report that is negative to Democrats and pumps up and distorts stories about Republicans. They don't talk about the negative effects of socialism or communism, our institutions in terms of our educational institutions. I I go back to my alma mater. History, economics, almost every department is manned by socialists. You don't get an even an even-handed view, let alone, um, I mean, that is putting in the stupid socialist stuff in addition to democratic republic and, and capitalist stuff. No, it's, it's completely been devoured by socialism and cultural socialism also. So this is what we're going to get from the media, from our educational institutions. So you get, you know, students who are coming out of schools thinking that socialism is the way to go. It's, it's, it's incredible. But again, I say again, Bob, you do a great job. We have a few other people who do it. It's not simply incumbent upon our uh, representatives who don't do a very good job, frankly, of getting the message out. One of my pet peeves, I've said this a million times and you know, when I speak to your audiences, is that our elected representatives, the Jim Jordans may do it uh, pretty well, but most of them don't go out constantly and preach the message. They have to get on you know, they have to get on to a, a circuit just as Democrats. They've got to work harder than the Democrats because we don't have control of these institutions. They've got to be getting the message out all the time. I try to do it as often as I can. I'm not running for office and I'm not in office, but it's my responsibility as an American to do that. So, you know, like, yeah, I'll blame the Democrats because they're doing stupid and evil things. But Republicans need to get some energy about them and counter these. You only have a handful yeah. of people who do it effectively. No question about it. Pete, we uh, took up all the time with this one, so we're going to have to get to our news here. And on the other side, we'll have time to talk about uh, the immigration mess and the left uh, leftist mayors freaking out about something that they refuse to do anything about. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll uh, we'll hit a couple of other quick items before you're done. we got cursing out for one more segment today. Not two, unfortunately, but we will make the most of it. Stay here on Always Ready. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 
Okay, 1035, I've got just one more segment segment with Peter Kirstenau this morning. And, Pete, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, illegal immigration. This is just a story that made me laugh and simultaneously just, you know, kind of kind of grit my teeth. Karen Bass is the mayor of Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles is, of course, a little over two months ago, a city that chose to become a sanctuary city. They designated themselves as such. Now Karen Bass is angry that Greg Abbott, is sending buses of illegal immigrants to Los Angeles to get that sanctuary. Um, she told a Fox Los Angeles news anchor named Marla Tellez, quote, L.A. has not extended an invitation asking for people to come. This is a political act. She's mad that, that somebody is actually putting her up or taking her up on her offer to provide sanctuary for illegals, saying they were not invited here. And the part that has me... Gritting my teeth, Peter, and probably you as well, is the tone-deaf nature of such a remark, given the fact that no one in the state of Texas invited them across the border. No one invited millions, five million in the Biden administration so far alone uh, have crossed that border into Texas, Arizona, and so forth, and yet she thinks they're supposed to stay there. Um, the chutzpah, I suppose, on display here is is what is most galling. What do you see? Yeah, yeah, it, it's chutzpah, it's tone deafness. You know, they were. It's nice when virtual signaling doesn't have a price. What they're seeing now with this incredible flood of illegal immigrants is that it does have a significant price. Look at Adams in New York City and the fact that it's going to cost billions of dollars for each of these cities. Billions of not going to. It's already cost them, in many cases, billions of dollars to house them, to feed them. They don't know where to put them. The schools are overrun. All living conditions in those cities are going downhill significantly. Now, the elites, you know, who are living in the most cloistered neighborhoods, of course, you know, Martha's Vineyard, of course, you saw what happened there. They went nuts when a few showed up, and they proclaimed themselves a sanctuary city. And so we know that this is nothing but clear hypocrisy and virtue signaling. We saw what happened there, and it's happening across the country. They don't care about middle-class folks, blue-collar folks, even uh, upper-middle-class folks who've got to deal with this kind of stuff, but all of us are going to feel the effects of this if we haven't already. You know, our friend Mark Krikorian has done, and, and Mark Camerata of, uh, I'm sorry, Stephen Camerata of Center for Integration Studies has done an analysis based on just the levels of immigration that we had in 2000, let alone what we have right now in terms of the costs to infrastructure, the cost to educational systems, hospital systems, so on and so forth. It's in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And a lot of these folks are not productive. They're not providing anything. We've got diseases now that have been eradicated since around the dark ages in the United States of America. And the terrorist threat at some point, I hate to say this, but when you have hundreds of known terrorists, people who've actually made it onto the terror watch list, crossing the border with impunity, something is going to happen. They're not coming here to go to 7-Eleven and, you know, or go to uh, Dunkin' Donuts and have a meal. They're coming here for a purpose. So this is going to be something that's going to have, it already has horrific consequences in so many regards. And our elites, again, cloistered communities, those folks in Washington, D.C., but even in Washington, D.C., you know, when I go there for commission meetings, I am stunned sometimes at what I see. And the fact that the United States of America would permit something like this to happen is an abomination. It's an abomination for the illegal immigrants. Uh, Frankly, uh, they're sitting around, lying around, not doing anything. You know, this should not be happening in a republic such as ours. And the Biden administration, 
administration doesn't care about it. You've got these mayors who they will turn around in one second after decrying the horrific problems associated with illegal immigration and then blame Republicans for being, you know, jingoistic or racist for not <laughs> accepting more illegal immigration. They, we are in a, a death spiral, as Victor Davis Hanson again has talked about. This is lunacy on steroids. It's insane. But the only way to counteract it is Democrats or Republicans have got to get in the bully pulpit, and each one of us, everybody in your listening audience I know does this, they're probably more active than most ele elected Republicans, but we must make sure that we fight against this by any means necessary. By that I mean ballot box, campaigning, getting out there and simply talking about it, resisting it completely. Yeah. This is the United States of America, not the United States or the United States of the Western Hemisphere. It's the United States of America, and we better protect everything that the Founding Fathers bequeathed to us, otherwise it will be gone in a heartbeat. Peter, one quick follow-up with you, and then we'll let you run, because I know you got to go. Um, Eunices Hernandez is um, the uh, is a council member in Los Angeles, one of the city council members, because I just told you what Karen Bass said. Two months ago, Eunices Hernandez tweeted, Greg Abbott, that's the governor of Texas, is using human beings for political theater. These dangerous actions from far-right, weak-minded politicians who rely on stunts instead of actual leadership are ex exactly why we're fighting to make L.A. a sanctuary city. So strangely, she's literally complaining that people are yeah. coming and yet saying we're fighting to make L.A. a sanctuary city. But the reason I read that to you is to read to you a tweet from three days ago that did not have to do with immigration, but just to let you know who we're dealing with here. Eunice Hernandez retweeted, DSA LA is proud to stand with city council members and fellow socialists, including Eunices, in their opposition to giving enormous raises to armed police officers instead of funding city services and unarmed responses that actually keep Angelinos safe. DSA LA is the Democratic Socialist of Los Angeles. So she's a socialist who doesn't want cops on the streets. She wants um, uh, social workers on the streets. And while complaining that uh, uh, Greg Abbott is sending people to get sanctuary there, she says, yeah, we want to become a sanctuary city. I, make it make sense, Peter. Yeah, you can't because it, it, would, it would be okay if this was cabined to just one little area. And this insanity, this uh, stupidity, this evil was cabined to, say, some little precinct in L.A. or a couple of other Democratic socialist precincts. But this thing has expanded rapidly. We are seeing the Democratic Party embracing this kind of mindset. And Republicans, some of them are you know, alert to this, but Republicans have got to fight back vigorously or else we lose the country. And we're on the verge of doing it right now. This we, we're at, we've been at a tipping point for a while. I don't know how long that tipping point lasts. It could last for a decade. It could be for you know, a quarter of a century. Who knows? But it's clear that if we continue down this path, we're looking at the end of the United States of America. A lot of people don't care about that. And what you have to understand is when you hear a socialist tell you what he wants, believe him. Believe him. It may sound lunatic. It may sound insane. But as I've said on your show a number of times, you know, we're not in the Civil Rights Commission. You get to see what the left has planned five to ten years from now because they try out their idiocy at the Civil Rights Commission. Understand that many of these movement folks actually, it's hard for us to really process this, but they actually hate the United States of America. Their aim is to, as Barack Obama said, fundamentally transform it. Believe it when they say it. And fundamental transformation doesn't mean that we're going to have shining cities on the hill. They think it's going to be some version, some 
proletarian um, utopia, yeah. some version of a benevolent North Korea, you must be sure that with every breath you take, part of it is devoted to blowing out the candle of communism. You must make sure you defeat this atrocity in its tracks, whether it's at the local level or the national level. And right now, I don't think that our Republicans are motivated enough. We have a few. We have a few. But again, they've got to get, as the outlaw Josie Wales said, plum mad dog mean. Very well said, Peter Kersenow, as always. Peter, thank you for sticking with us. We appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks much, Bob. You got it. All right, 1043. Pete had to go a little earlier. Normally we have him till close to 11 o'clock, but he's on a uh, an attorney's clock today, so he's got work to do that uh, that uh, prevented him from sticking around longer. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We've got. If you want to respond to anything you just heard from Pete, anything we discussed earlier in the first hour, that's fine. We've got plenty more news for you as well. 216-901-0945. Let me ask you this, Mom, Dad, your daughter's at college. She's in a sorority. A biological male who says he's a girl wants to live in their dorm, or excuse me, in their uh, sorority house. Your daughter lives in the sorority house. You okay with that? A federal judge says you doggone well better be because he's not making one leave. I'll explain, and then we'll talk. 216-901-0945, Always right radio right back. Okay, it's 10.48, so we've got a, kind of an unexpected segment now uh, since Peter was uh, was uh, uh, forced to leave just a tad bit early, so I want to fill it with this. Uh, and if you want to get in now, this is a good chance to do that, too, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. I do have um, a good guest coming up, too, at the top of the hour. We're going to talk with the uh, uh, um, administrator of public health in Geauga County for a good reason. And uh, I'll, I told that story at the beginning of the show, and I'll tell it again after the top of the hour. But you're going to want to hear for that conver- be here for that conversation. But I want to share this one with you too. I, I just um, I just kind of teased it before the before the break. The girls of a sorority in uh, Wyoming at a sorority in Wyoming kind of set themselves up in a very ba- very bad way here. But now they're trying to fix it, and a federal judge won't let them. Here's what I mean: University of Wyoming sorority members. Um, filed a lawsuit to stop the inclusion of a transgender student, in other words, a biological dude, uh, in their organization living in their sorority house. They filed a lawsuit to get him out because of what they describe as what he is, a peeping Tom, a peeping transgender student named Artemis Langford. Uh, the chapter of Kappa Kappa Gamma, sued the school to revoke the membership, saying that his behavior in the house uh, clearly indicated that he was not there to actually be a girl and be one of them, but he was there for other purposes. The University of Wyoming chapter, however, according to the federal judge, voted to admit Langford. With its inquiry beginning and ending there, the court will not define woman today. This is a direct statement from the judge. The judge said this court will not define woman today. 
The delegate of a private, voluntary organization interpreted woman, otherwise undefined, in the nonprofit's bylaws expansively. This judge may not invade Kappa Kappa Gamma's freedoms of expressive association and, and inject the circumscribed, circumscribed definition plaintiffs urge. The ruling continued that holding that plaintiffs failed to plausibly allege their derivative, breach of contract, tortious interference, and direct claims the court dismisses without prejudice the plaintiff's cause of action. So, I mean, she threw it out. The lawsuit was brought because Langford violated university policies by not being a woman or making efforts to even appear female. Langford states that he's transgender, that he self-identifies as a woman. His behavior, however, does not reflect of a man living as a woman, let alone a man attempting to consistently live as a woman. Other than occasionally wearing women's clothing, Langford makes little effort to resemble a woman. He has not undergone treatments to create a more feminine appearance, such as female hormones, feminization surgery, or laser hair removal, which I don't even want to get into the ridiculous stupidity of all of that. But plaintiffs often observe Langford with the facial hair one would expect of a man who either did not shave that morning or whose facial hair has regrown by the evening. So in other words, dude says, I'm a chick, doesn't even try to look like a chick, but says, let me join. They say, fine, we'll let you in in the name of inclusivity. And then while acting like a dude that he is, they say, oh, well, this isn't working out as well. We want to get him out of here. Except the judge won't let it happen. Because you brought him in and didn't define woman articulately enough yourselves, we're not going to define it for you. The court is not going to define it for you. Additional court documents allege other unacceptable behaviors such as voyeuristically peeping on them when they were in intimate situations. And in at least one occasion, had a visible, if you'll pardon me, a visible erection while doing so. Though multiple women took part in the lawsuit, the sorority itself filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit. The central issue in this case is simple. Do the plaintiffs have a legal right to be, to be in a sorority that excludes transgender women? They do not. So there's my question for you. <clears throat> if you're a dad or a mom, and you found out that your daughter, who's living in a sorority house, is living with a biological male who gets erections while watching them in private situations and circumstances, doesn't even pretend to be a female, would you allow your daughter to stay in that living situation? What would you do? Because according to what we've been told by the modern American left, we have to accept him at his word. Trans women are real women. He's a real woman. He's a real member of that sorority, no matter how much facial hair or how often he gets erections in front of the girls who are, including your daughter, who are part of that, that house. How would you, how would you handle that? Plaintiffs request the court to insert itself into the controversial political debate and declare that a private organization can only interpret the term woman using the plaintiff's exclusionary definition of biologically born females. Where are we? Where are we that the definition of woman literally cannot be articulated in a court of law for the purposes of deciding a matter like this, where we cannot define what a woman is, that the uh, official designation of biologically born female is not good enough. Somebody said they are. No matter how thick his beard is, he says he's a woman and he must be accepted as such. It's pretty incredible. Uh, okay, uh, let's go to uh, BJ in North Olmstead. Hi, BJ, go ahead. Thank you, Bob. I want to switch uh, stories. Um, 
1913, under Woodrow Wilson, the Federal Reserve Bank was formed. 16 years later, 1929, the Great Depression hit because of the banks. We're in that same situation. The banks want to uh, get rid of paper money and go to digital money because everybody's using digital credit cards and are in debt at the hill. The Federal Reserve is going to pull another stunt to cause a major recession where people can lose their properties and homes. They can confiscate that money and resell the properties like they did in 29. Beware of what the Federal Reserve is going to do in the next 60 days. Thank you for your time, and I hope the boys realize their boys and girls realize their girls. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thanks, BJ. TJ's in Cleveland. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah. You know, Bob, when you were talking about that Colorado politician that called the educational system racist, the educational system is the most liberal organization in America. And if they're called racist, anybody's a target. And it's just starting to show maybe these people on the left, the chickens are coming home to roost. If I'm a white teacher in Colorado, I'm a little bit worried about my job. Where is it going to be in the near future? Because I'm going to have to be replaced you know, for equity. Yes, no question about it. And then, by the way, this is more egregious there because of who they just put in, the, in that uh, House of Representatives seat. But it's everywhere, TJ. That is the reality everywhere. There are white people being fired from jobs, not just in education, but in corporate America as well, because they're white, because they literally have to make room for more people who are BIPOC, you know, black, indigenous, but whatever the heck the thing stands for, people of color. Uh, exactly for that reason. It is wholly unconstitutional. It is a violation of the Civil Rights Act, but it doesn't matter. If, if the only victims of said, uh, um, violations are white, it doesn't matter. Whiteness is okay to victimize. And, and I'm glad you brought up Venezuela too, Bob, because I still remember before the 2020 election, that woman from Venezuela was pleading with the American people, don't do what we did. We voted these Marxists in the office. And she says, now there's nothing. The lights don't stay on. There's no food on the shelves. Don't make the same mistake we did. And the morons in this country keep making the same mistake in places like Colorado, California, you know, you name it. You're 100% right. And one day they're going to wake up and wonder what the heck has happened. Yep. They, uh, they rail against capital. Thank you, TJ, for the call. They rail against capitalism, uh, you know, and then they bring these types of things about and then they wonder, oh my gosh, what happened? And yes, there are plenty of warning signs in a lot of other communist, socialist slash communist countries where the people saw it happen and they see the same trend that we are on right now. And we won't listen. Linda Medina. Linda, welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Um, I want to bring up um, the topic of issue one in November, and I know that you are a pro-no vote. Correct. Uh, I'm against against that amendment, yes. Exactly. Well, I'd like to ask for your help um, to populate our area of Northeast Ohio with roving billboards of vote no for issue one. And this is really simple. Every um, person in Northeast Ohio that is a vote no, can go on to gfiohio.com and order car magnets for their car. And they will be roving billboards for vote no. And they can get two magnets for $10. Pretty yeah, it's a, it's a it's think? a good it's a good idea. You know, I got a magnet for the special uh, election in August uh, that was given to me. 
Um, it was George Satari actually gave it to me, and I tried to stick it to my truck, but it didn't work because a lot of car bodies though are not metal; they're like you know the the fiberglass, and so it won't stick. So some some cars will be able to wear you know uh, be outfitted with magnets, and others will not. But I like the well, idea, and if you can do that, I would strongly encourage people to do that rather than just putting well, it in your yard. Put it on your vehicle wherever you go. Right. Well, also if they, if you have a car that it doesn't stick. We have stickies. You can order the sticky, and that sticks on anything. Oh, there you go. There you go. So there you, that's that's a good answer. Can I say the website again? It's gfiohio.com. Go up, order your magnet. We'll have them here in, a, in um, two weeks. That's a grassroots freedom initiative, right? Exactly. Got exactly. it. Yeah, I remember talking to folks, uh, not about this specific thing, but prior to that special election, too. So GFIOhio.com, GFIOhio.com, if you want to display your uh, opposition to that amendment to abortion on demand in November. Thank you for the call, Linda. I appreciate it. We're going to take a time out here. Top of the hour news is coming. And on the other side, we're going to talk to Adam Lickey of Geauga County Board of Health. Uh, are they setting the pace for all of us on how to respond to the coming pandemic, too? We'll talk about it next. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Eight minutes after 11 o'clock. Excuse me. A little froggy there to start the hour. On this Tuesday, the 29th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023, Plandemic 2.0 is underway. If you have been paying attention to the news uh, in the last few days, we've been talking about it on this program. It's been in a lot of other places as well. Um, they are bringing back COVID. And by that, they're bringing, I mean they're bringing back COVID policies. You see, there's a new sub-variant of a variant, and it's going to have a little bit of a different quality to it. It's going to need a new booster for another round of shots. And you'll probably have to do this every year. And, oh, by the way, Multiple hospitals and medical centers across the country have returned to masking mandates. If you are a patient, if you are picking up a patient, if you're dropping off a patient, if you're walking in for whatever reason into one of these medical centers, you're going to have to strap one of those uh, face diapers on. Uh, they're doing it on school buses. They're doing it in certain universities, uh, including Rutgers University in uh, New Jersey and Morris Brown, a, a, an HBCU down in, I want to say, Georgia. So it is on its way. Make no mistake about it. 
what is left but the announcement of lockdowns. How many weeks to flatten the curve this time around? Last time, two weeks turned into about two years, and that's what they did. Many of us fought very, very hard. I shouldn't say, I I won't say us. I don't want to include myself in that. I didn't fight very, very hard, but I supported those who did fight very, very hard to bring about legislation to stop it from ever happening again, to stop us from surrendering our medical freedom in the name of the the pandemic. And that's what I'll continue to refer to it as. Um, We wanted laws passed. We wanted bills passed to become laws in the state of Ohio General Assembly. We didn't get enough support for them. And so now... All it is is a matter of time over the course of the next one, two, four, five, six, eight months going into the 2024 elections, by the way, for Mike DeWine. And now it's not Amy Acton. He won't have the walking, talking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat anymore at his side. But he'll have another one up there telling us what we can and can't do because of what they deem to be health emergencies. And this is something that many of us have just straight up said, that's it. Not again. We will not comply. But we're looking for some support. And that's why I was so excited to see this memo posted online by my friend Jonathan Broadbent from the Geauga County Board of Health. It's a memo that says, we will not try to force you to comply. We will not participate. We are going back to pre-pandemic experiences in Geauga County. And I said that is worth talking to the administrator of Jaga Public Health, Adam Litke. And Adam Litke joins us right now on AM 1420, The Answer. Adam, thank you for the time this morning. How are you? Good, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. So just to clarify, is Geauga Public Health different from Geauga County Board of Health, or is it one and the same? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's one of those uh, ways that the Ohio Revised Code words things and how different people word them. But the Board of Health really is the same thing as Geauga Public Health. It's just two different names they go by. Okay, got it. So um, I read the letter, the guidance, actually, school COVID guidance, and I, and I was just so excited to see that somebody was stepping up here and getting out in front of this whole thing and saying we're not going to do that again. And I'll read a brief portion of the letter for you to respond to and give us more information on GPH, Geauga Public Health, was the first Ohio health district one year ago to advise against compulsory masking in schools and express respect for the decision-making autonomy of families, affirming each family's right to make its own decisions regarding student masking. What a novel concept. The guidance also advised students to remain in the classroom after known exposure to COVID-19 if they were symptom-free and did not have a positive result. Recently, GPH has been hearing increasing community concerns about uh, that compulsory masking and other prior COVID-19 procedures may return. In last year's guidance, we expressly stated our aim is to revert back to the pre-pandemic education and community experience regardless of student vaccination status um i think that's such a fantastic idea can you tell us how the board of health there in Geauga county came to that determination because it's pretty gutsy to send that send that letter out uh yes yeah. so uh we did a couple of different things uh last year uh, and the year before and one of the things that we looked at in schools was obviously, obviously schools were kind of the hot point for most families. Uh, you can do a lot of things to the parents, right? You know, some of us would be like, hey, I'll, I'll bear the cross for my kids. When you, when the kids are impacted, that's when parents, you know, they want no, want no more information. They like to hear more about how you're doing things and why you're doing them. And so one thing we looked at was the conversion rate of COVID in schools. And so I asked, I tasked my team both in Geauga and then Lake County, we did the same thing. We looked at what were the odds of someone who was exposed to COVID in a school, 
uh, or sorry, a school-aged person uh, testing positive. And obviously there is some area for flaw here based on if someone doesn't declare themselves COVID uh, positive. But in general, the conversion rate was extremely low in schools for school-aged children. I mean, sorry, school-aged children. So when we did that, we relaxed a lot of the restrictions, uh, or at least changed our guidance uh, to be less restrictive and allow the parents to have um, the choice, obviously, to do what they need to do uh, with masking, amongst other things. And then, obviously, with this thing, with this new guidance coming out, the goal was to give the responsibility back to the schools and the parents. Um, it's being treated as the, as the, you know, air quotes, common flu by many people today. Uh, I think one of our uh, board members has said to that, to that degree as well. And so when we looked at it, we said, all right, well, you know, we don't get involved in some of those things. We need to let that responsibility lie in the schools and lie in the arms of the parents. And that is for masking or against masking. It, uh, it doesn't dictate one or the either. If a parent wants their kid to wear masks, they're free to do so. If the parent would like to have their uh, child have the vaccine, they're allowed to do so. Uh, but we're not going to make it compulsory through the par- health department that someone has to do either one of those things if they choose not to. And that's that's exactly what it should be about. It should be. A, it, and what I like here, it, going back to what I read from your letter, uh, revert back to a pre-pandemic education and community experience. So we have to ask ourselves, what was it like pre-pandemic? And the answer is very simple. When your child is sick, you keep them home. It's that simple. If your kid doesn't feel well, if your kid has a fever, if your kid has a stomach problem or whatever it is, you keep your kids home until they feel better and then you send them to school again. That's what we did pre-pandemic and that's ultimately what we're saying now is to let parents determine whether their kids are healthy enough to go to school and if they are not healthy enough to keep them home just in the, it's like you said, it's flu season. Uh, you know, to, to make sure that you're not transmitting anything, whether it be COVID or flu or anything else. That's what the uh, pre-pandemic uh, experience was like, right? Uh, yes. I mean, that, I think most of us that grew up in a, you know, they're going to call it a different time nowadays, but, you know, we grew up a little bit differently. <laughs> uh, but I think that's what it goes back to. And, you know, also listening to the population, listening to the public. You know, I, I remember very vividly a conversation with a waitress where I was eating at one day that she said her, her son or daughter, I can't remember her daughter, was out of school due to being exposed to COVID for two weeks. He went back in or she went back in, was then taken out again a week later. Went back into school, was taken out again after that due to exposure. Wow. And she's looking at me. I've got my shirt on that says, you know, Geauga Public Health. And she's like, how do I put food on my table when I can't work because... I'm home to take care of my kids. Prices are high. What do I do? And I said, well, you know, did he test positive? I'm asking some questions. And she goes, no. He's never tested positive once. He hasn't been sick. But he is he's, uh, out of school because of the possibility of being sick. And so, you know, conversations like that with the public that were, there were a vast number of those, are things that we looked at and, and took a look at and talked to doctors about. And, you know, my board of health, I'm sure some would like to pick on either side. We didn't go far enough or went too far. There are two doctors on that board. There's a doctor of pharmacology as well, uh, and we have a medical director. So it's not a, like, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, it's not just me making these things up and pushing them out. It's not just one person. Um, but I do have a very brave uh, uh, board of health and a, a uh, board president, uh, Carolyn Brakey. You know, she's very willing to take the stand, especially for children, and push this information out and make it available to the public. And so... We've done that. Uh, for the most part, I think we've had a lot of parents who are like, hey, thank you for letting me make the choice either way. <laughs> that seems to be the, the general response. There are some that are, you know, asking that we require masking again. But in general, I think that it's going to be more of, um, you know, this is how it's going to be from at least our standpoint. If you like to do something different, you can. 
Um, and for those that don't know, Geauga Public Health, I work for both Geauga Public Health and Lake County Health Department, uh, and the health commissioner between the two counties is the same as well. So, uh, you know, we work together in conjunction with these Geaugas. was the first one to go out, obviously, though, approved by the board uh, last Wednesday. But, you know, again, we're looking to say, hey, as a parent, you got to make these choices for yourself, and that is a responsibility you have as a parent. I've got two young kids. Same thing with my responsibility. Uh, it never ends with kids, and you got to make those choices based on your best information and the best choice you have at the time. That's exactly right. We're talking to Adam Litke. He's the administrator for Jaga Public Health, and now we know for Lake County Public Health as well, so that's that's good to know. So, Adam, you're right. Um, it should be up to the parents, and they do have to have their best information and so forth. Do you provide that? Is there a position that the you know a Board of Health takes or that you guys have taken about the efficacy of masks and whether or not they work? Because I know the last time around when it first got started, you know, Anthony Fauci was saying, no, you don't have to wear masks. That's silly. And then said, everybody better wear a mask and it should be compulsory. And they didn't have studies done, done to really show uh, the effectiveness of masks on respiratory airborne viruses. And then they did studies in the last two years. And essentially, it's almost unanimous to my understanding, they do not stop airborne particles uh, from, from, you know, being ingested or, or, you know, and thus people becoming infected. So do you have guidance if somebody says, thank you for letting me choose what to do with my kid as far as a mask goes, but can you tell me whether or not you think we should? Do you have guidance that, that answers that? Uh, we don't have anything that deals with that specifically. We allow that to be up to the, the person's choice. I mean, I, I have heard both ends of it. I've heard one side where it's, you know, it does something to catch the water droplets coming out of the mouth when they cough. And I've heard the other side that says, yeah, but your eyes are open and uncovered without a face shield on. Um, so I've heard both sides. Uh, we allow each person to choose what, you know, based on the research they do or, or the information that they use or who they listen to, to do that. Um, but we don't take a stance on that necessarily, no. So if somebody came to you and said, I have also heard both sides and we don't know what to do, we're asking you as health professionals, what should I do? You wouldn't be able to answer them? Uh, no, we don't, we don't dive into that. Obviously we don't have the, you know, we can read the research papers and things of that nature, mm-hmm. but we allow each person to decide on how they want to handle that. Okay. Um, and the, the board is, I mean, they will give their opinion on time to time, but I don't want to speak for them right now, uh, on that specific topic. That's a tough one based on who you're talking to. Got it. So so let's go bigger picture now to the rest of the state. Again, I was talking before, I thought the policies enforced by Amy Acton, who has pretty much given the uh, the uh, uh, the keys to the state, as far as I'm concerned, by Mike DeWine, she made all of the decisions. Are you and other county boards of health in touch with the state board of health, and will there be any similar type of announcement coming from the state, or, or it, you, can you talk about the communication between the, the two uh, entities? Uh, yeah, I mean, health departments speak regularly to the Ohio Department of Health, at least that I'm aware of. I know we uh, have liaisons and everything that we talk to, and, and we're able to access different people. Um, Mr. DeWine, love him or hate him, uh, you know, he has helped us out with, with wells here in Parkman County due to a uh, salt dome con- alleged salt dome contamination of an aquifer. Uh, so we have contact through, through that as well. Um, I don't know if the state is going to do any kind of guidance and, and, or which way they're going to go. Uh, the health departments that are local to you, so the ones you'd probably deal with uh, as, a, as a regular citizen of uh, some county, it, are independent for the most part of the state in terms of a lot of decisions that we're able to make. Uh, we still follow rules and regulations of the state and Ohio Revised Code, but things like this, we can't have our own guidance that we can go ahead and, and issue. Um, that, and in this case, we did. We issued our guidance 
And that was mostly because I started getting a, a decent amount of calls from parents, from schools. Mm-hmm. What do we do? How do we do it? You know, what is your thought going to be? And I really didn't want to leave schools and parents hanging until the you know 11th hour and say, oh, hey, by the way, here's what you have to prepare for. Uh, I just don't think that's a, you know, as a parent myself, I would hope I'd have some heads-up knowledge as to where things are going for my children. Adam, is it your expectation that the school administrators and board members will follow the guidance that you offer? Are they they're not they're not mandated to, right? They can do whatever they want, or do they? Is it you know is it a, just kind of an expectation they'll do what you guys say? Uh, no, they they can uh, make any decision they want. Uh, the different uh, boards, uh, school boards, and uh, superintendents and things like that. We do talk regularly to our superintendents uh, in both counties, like Ngiaga, and I. I think for the most part, uh, they'll likely adopt that guidance or at least use that guidance in making their decisions. Um, they, they could go a different route, but I haven't heard anything back yet from them. Uh, and then, obviously, we do leave it up to that locality because if someone feels differently, they can make their own decision. Uh, we do. I know I've taken some flack for it, as the board has, but, you know, at the bottom of that thing, at the bottom of that guidance, it does say, you know, we'll reassess the situation every once in a while and look at it. And, and the reason for that is, like anything in life, you should always be looking at, you know, your answers and, and statements you make and saying, all right, does it still age well today? Does it look good today? Has something changed? And I don't mean that I think something will change tomorrow, but I think we need to look at, you know, if for some reason there's a mortality rate that skyrockets the next day, then you have to look at why that mortality rate sky, skyrocketed or hospital rates increase. Um, but again, for the most part, as mentioned in there, the Board of Health is saying, hey, You've got to do what's right for you, for your kids, for your uh, families. That's the decision you guys need to make, and I think that's where it'll stand for, for at least the rest of the year. Uh, I don't want to say forever because I can't speak for the board, but they were pretty staunch that night that, yes, this is a parents' rights issue and a locality issue the schools can decide on their own. Last question for you, and I really appreciate your time. We're talking to Adam Litke. He is the administrator for Geauga Public Health, also the same role in Lake County as well. The one line some people responded to me with that they were concerned about was the one that says, well, we might change this. GPH will continue to to monitor the COVID-19 situation in the county and reassess this guidance as necessary. Adam, under what circumstances would you say uh, that the the guidance would be changed from what you have delivered thus far? Uh, yeah, so for me, when we look at this, and I think as the board looks at it, we're looking at, you know, do we see an increase in mortality rates? Do we see an increase in, um, you know, hospital stays that are detrimental to someone's health? We look at those types of things. Uh, it was one of the things that we looked at when restrictions got loosened up when we did our last guidance was we weren't seeing the hospital stays. We weren't seeing the mortality rates uh, that were expected. And so we made that change. And I think uh, during our board meeting, that line originally was not in there, but some of the board members said, hey, you know, it's, it's a little bit funny that we don't have something that says we are going to be monitoring this. And I believe what that statement was saying was just we're not turning a blind eye. We're not throwing you out in the left field. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll take a look at it. And if something does catastrophically happen, we can reassess at that point. Um, but I think up until that conversation, the board in general has said, you know, this is a parent's rights issue and a school decision-making. It's not for the Board of Health to, to tell you what your kid has to do. Uh, in this scenario. So, you know, I, I don't think it'll change. I, I don't foresee it. The board is pretty staunch on that on that letter. And obviously, it's a very strongly worded letter, in my opinion, uh, especially considering what you've probably seen from, from anywhere else in the, in the nation at this point. So I, I think we took a pretty hard stance, but it does say, hey, we're not just sitting on our, you know, on our bums in the office doing nothing. We will take a look at this. We will reassess it. We will listen to the public. Um, but, I, but again, that guidance, I think, will likely stand for, for, for a long time. 
Right. Adam, listen, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I'm glad you are getting out there and reasserting parents' rights to make up their own minds about what they do with their kids and with their uh, respect to their own health. Uh, that's exactly how it should have been the last time around. I'm glad you guys are out in front of it. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And if there are any changes or updates, I hope we can call on you again. Absolutely. We, we, would love, we always love, as a public health department, to talk to people if they like to listen. And, uh, you know, it's nice not to talk about septic systems for once. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. Adam, thank you. Have a great day. All right, that's, uh, that's Adam Litke, Administrator of Geauga Public Health. You would, uh, uh, if you've got reactions, I would love to hear them. 216-901-0945, Masking is optional for parents. Keeping their kids home is optional for parents. If they're, uh, uh, if they feel like they've been exposed, if they do any of that, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the, uh, tracing, contact tracing and you've been exposed, if you're symptom-free, send your kid to school. This is not something that they are going to ban this time around. Uh, it is obviously very, very dangerous for all of these kids to miss so much school and to strap these things onto their faces for eight hours a day. So good work by the good folks at Geauga County Board of Health, and we'll be back. A new thing fever started long ago. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1135. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So, big announcement. We've uh, we've decided to relaunch and, in the same effort, <clears throat> rebrand um, the podcast. Tonight, 7 o'clock, Jack Windsor and I are going to get together again and do our thing. We uh, started our podcast, I want to say it was right around like October, November of last year. Um, and we did our podcast up until April. We ceased and desisted for a little while because Jack was getting married. He- schedules got crazy hectic. We could not do our weekly or twice weekly podcast. We were doing two times a week there for a bit. And uh, so we kind of went on hiatus for a little while. Then the hiatus from April got into May, and May got into to June and July, and here we are now in August, and we said it's time to get back to work. We've got a lot of things to say, to offer, uh, particularly the people of uh, the state of Ohio. I mean, it's not that we don't talk about things outside the state. We just focus a ton on things that do. It has been super highly political for most of the uh, shows that we have done, uh, because again, these are things that are done in Columbus. And Jack is a news guy himself. You know, he's the founder of uh, the the Ohio Press Network, and obviously, I do what I do. So we did a lot of political stuff, um, but we're going to expand it. And and, and su- as such, we've decided to rebrand the entire thing. It used to be called Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Not that that in and of itself was political, but it just it was a reference to the way we used to do the show. And now we're going to do it a little bit differently. And so we're looking for a new name. And we're starting it tonight at 7 o'clock. And we're looking for a new name. What do we want to call it? Eh? I, we, we, threw, we threw it out there on social media last night, on, on Facebook particularly, particularly, looking for suggestions from you. And I still don't know if we have found the one that we like. I still don't know. In other words, no title for it has jumped up and just smacked us in the face and said, Oh, my God, that's it. That's perfect. Um. So we're still kind of we're still kind of noodling it a little bit. We were texting each other this morning during my commercial breaks because we're going to start the doggone show today, and we have not yet decided what to title it. We're going to want to put it on the page. 
Uh, if you've got a suggestion and you want to ring it up right now, we can take a couple of calls here between now and 1144 when we're done, or 1145 when we're done. 216-901-0945. What should we call our podcast? It is not going to be just, just, you know, overwhelmingly politics. We're going to do politics, we're going to do entertainment, we're going to do news stories, we're going to do sports stuff. We're just going to be very free-flowing, much different than what we've done in the past. But we feel like it's really important to get the name right. We could go plain and boring and just Bob and Jack. Uh, It's it's plain and it's boring. We could be a little bit uh, irreverent. We can be a little bit... um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. That's why we're on what Jack likes to call the struggle bus, trying to figure out a name for it. But it's going to air tonight. And we're going to, we're going to put it out there. We're going to put it on Facebook. It'll be on Jack's Facebook page. It'll be on my Facebook page. We'll get it on Spotify. We'll get it on my Rumble page. We'll get it everywhere we can. But, uh, but it starts back up tonight. We're going to do an hour a week to start. Usually on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock is what our plan is, uh, provided our schedules allow that. But we are going to uh, bring back uh, the podcast. Uh, Seth, I'm going to ask you a question, by the way, speaking of uh, being being on Facebook. Uh, Seth Williams is, is running our show now. Uh, Seth, is there the, – I, I was just – during the break, I was just, like, battling with some people. Is there any term or word or phrase – that you see online that you just absolutely cannot stand. Oh man, there, there's use. so many at this point, right? I I know I kind of feel the same way, but most of them I just kind of like you know just kind of slough it off and I whatever. But um, the one th- when I, <laughs> I'll say this very clearly: if you don't say a word out loud ever, ever. If you have never used the word out loud, why would you type it? To me, you type what you would say. When you're having conversations online with people, you type things that you would say if you were out loud, right? I mean, I, that's, how I, that's how I communicate. I write what I would say. And, Seth, have you ever heard a human being say the words woot, woot? Ever, ever in your life, in history, you know what I mean? Have have they ever entered your ears? No, that has not ever happened. No, No. me either. It's it's a non-existent expression, and yet people type it as an expression of excitement. They'll type something like, went to see the concert last night, woot, woot, (laughs) and I just cannot. (laughs) I am not... Having it. What the hell do you mean, woot, woot? Hey, the Browns won. If you write Browns won, yay, I'm fine. Because I would say yay. If you say Browns won, hooray, I'm fine. You say Browns won, woot, woot. What the hell is that? I don't like, oh my God, G A W D. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm okay with that, and I'll tell you why. For some people, uh, it's saying, oh, my God, is, yes, right. Yeah. It's, it's I, a little blasphemous, that. and so to take G-O-D, God, our God, out of it and just say, oh, my God, you know, it, it, G-A-W-D thing, I'm okay with that. Because you will say, sometimes people will say, Rush Limbaugh used to say, you know, a, a talent unload from God, which you might spell G-A-W-D, you know. Uh, so I'm okay with that one, but it's when words don't exist in life that people then somehow create uh, for social media purposes. Seth, it's just like you know, um, it uh, it it's needles in the ears. It's, it's rubbing bleach into my eyes. I just I you know what it is. 
it's it's the linguist in me. It's the English degree, English teacher in me, I think, maybe. Um, I like to type articulately like I try to speak articulately. That doesn't mean I won't say slang words from time to time. Uh, the slang's not wrong with slang. People, If you say it out loud, slang or or otherwise, I'm okay with typing it. But when you type things that just have no meaning whatsoever and somebody invented it and put it on, on social media, man, I'm just done. It's just, it's, I'm just done. And I don't think, I don't know if I can think of too many others that are, that are online words only that just drive me as bananas as somebody saying, you know, oh, my daughter got straight A's on her report card. Woot, woot. woot. Yeah, that, what the freaking weird. world is that, man? Am I am I am I am I gripping too tight here? Uh, I got a, a message from our friend Charlie, the politically incorrect mechanic, saying that the T is silent, so it's supposed to be just woo woo. Then then why is there a T? Woo woo is fine if people say woo like Ric Flair. Right. Ric Flair doesn't say woo. No, you're the English you know, major here, Bob. You should know the T is silent again. No, no, the T is not silent. The T is not silent in that any more than it would be in the word root. You would not call say spell you know I'm going to eat uh, you know or, or talk about the root of a vegetable uh, or or of a plant and say I'm going to pull out the rue. No, you're going to pull no. out pull it no. out by the root. If there's a T on the end of that word, now it's you know there are some words in which the T is silent. None of them uh, have O O preceding the T. In other words, um, I'm trying to think of a word um, um, that ends in T that is silent. There are like particularly French words like beret. You can say beret, there's no T at the end, you don't pronounce the T at the end, but you put a, a T at the end of O-O, it is, it is pronounced. Charlie is, Charlie is smoking it. Yeah, he's wrong on that one. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and it's okay, by the way, after November it'll be illegal for him to smoke it. And I, I'm kidding when I say it. Charlie doesn't smoke it. But anyway, it's just one of those things. So we are indeed looking for suggestions uh, on, the, on the thing. So what I'm going to ask you to do, because we're just about out of time on the radio show anyway, and I, if, if you're calling, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to bring you up. I look at all these people calling with their suggestions. I've got one minute left of showtime. Not even. 